Welcome to the Safe Church Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Integrity Training Solutions and is dedicated to discussing how to keep your church safe and secure. Hello, I'm your host for the Safe Church Podcast, James McGarvey. Today on the Safe Church Podcast, we're going to be talking about when to call 911, and we're going to review and go over a few things that you may not have considered when attempting to obtain additional help and resources from your local 911 system. This podcast was originally taken from a video and is being rebroadcasted in podcast form for your information. Thank you for listening. Good morning, folks. I wanted to uh, do a video for you and uh, had to run some errands this morning. So um, one of the topics that that comes up often and... Um, I wanted to, to just offer a little bit of clarity on it based on my experience is uh, when when to dial 911, when to seek emergency services uh, for for something. And I wanted to kind of go over a little bit of that today and kind of explain to you um, some nuances with that. Uh, Paul asked me to, to do a video uh, based on my experience and... Um, so I kind of thought about it. Normally, when we, we chat about videos and ideas and stuff like that, I kind of have to think, okay, do I really have enough information to cover this topic and do it well? And um, so I thought about it for a few minutes, and then it kind of popped into my head, yeah, you, there's there's quite a bit you can cover. So um, I wanted to do that. So this is obviously this is going to vary between uh, where you live, if you're out in the middle of nowhere or in a more rural area, versus a city or a suburb of a city type thing. And the reason I say that will vary is because obviously emergency services take different lengths of time depending on how long um, or how far you live or what type of system it is. So the rundown, I'm just going to give you a quick, quick brief overview of generalities of how systems work. And then, um, you know, for, for future details, you know, you can call your local fire department and and ask them, say, hey, can you explain to me when I call 911, what happens? Um, and I'll tell you, you know, those those folks are awesome, and they will, um, in a heartbeat, go over with you and explain what happens with each step. So you have to make a decision, okay, you know, how long, and this is what why for safety leaders and security leaders of churches it's important, how long does it take to actually get emergency services to me? That's a very valid question. Um, for me, I live in on the outskirts of Columbus. It's a suburban area, but um, the average response time for Columbus police and law enforcement is eight minutes. Okay, now again, that's average. Um, the average response time for uh, emergency medicine or fire is about 15 minutes. Okay, so. How my system works in Columbus is they operate off a station mutual aid process. So if the closest station is out on another call, then they prioritize the call. They might they may send some like an ambulance or a fire truck from another or or police car from another precinct or different area to cover that certain area. In a more rural environment, a lot of times what you have is a mutual aid system where different towns or townships will cover uh, various towns if 
if uh, if it's it's volunteer, if you don't have folks that are 100 percent, 24 hours on standby, if they're out on another call, if they're not available, um, a lot of times in smaller towns, if it's volunteer during the day, they may not have people. Um, that can respond. So they may mutual aid or pull from another town to respond to that town. So typically you can get that information by calling, you know, your local fire, fire station non-emergency number and just say, Hey, what's your average response time in the community? And they'll tell you, you know, our average response time is 30 minutes or, you know, 15 minutes or whatnot. So if you live in an area where you're further out and you have 30 to 45 minutes, um, that's not unheard of, especially for law enforcement. If a law enforcement department like a sheriff's office is covering a very large county, then it is very likely that you may have one or two deputies um, for a 12-hour shift covering hundreds of miles. Um, and when I work with the sheriff's office out in California, we had about 150 miles for just our substation. And so we could be on one far end of the county or one far end of that um, coverage area for the substation and literally be 50 to 60 miles from someone that picks up their phone and dials 911. And so then, you know, at that point, you're the only resource, you know, you're responding and you're trying to beat, you know, 60 miles in, um, you know, obviously less than 60 minutes. So, you know, there are times when, you know, we would literally fly across, you know, the county um, or the, the precinct to try and get to where we needed to be to help somebody. So that's why prioritization is really important. And the information that you give the 911 dispatcher will definitely help that. So here's my my take on this when to dial 911 well i'm not talking about not quite talking about emergency medical stuff yet or if there's a fire if there's a fire dial 911 get out try and if it's containable if the fire is containable grab a fire extinguisher um you should have one if your church doesn't have one you're not up to code end of story you need to fix it that's not acceptable um First aid, if it's life-threatening, um, typically when we respond to a first aid situation, I, I like to try and evaluate the person and see if it's life-threatening, if it's something, difficulty breathing, stroke, seizure, um, something odd and unusual, shock, then absolutely I'm calling 911 regardless. And if the person's unresponsive, I'm calling 911 regardless. Um, law enforcement situations, security-type situations are a little bit more challenging because like Paul said on one of his videos um, recently, um, you know, you get the folks that you kind of have to investigate a little bit before you decide if they're Pokemon and you really want to deal with them or if it's somebody that has ill harm for the church. Obviously, that doesn't, you know, if somebody's walking up with a gun in their hands on church property and screaming or doing something chaotic, then you obviously know that's, an, you know, something that's an emergency that you need to deal with. But... <clears throat> For the most part, law enforcement, if it takes us eight to ten minutes to do that, when I respond to something on church property, I call our dispatch office because we have a safety office. There's always a dispatcher in there every scheduled service. And I'll say, hey, this is uh, James. I'm responding. I'm investigating this. A lot of times people will call me and say, hey, do you need backup? Would you like me to head that way? And if I have a question in my mind, usually I'll say, yeah, I'd like you to head head this way and that means that I know somebody's responding now every time that I am responding to something especially property wise security related a timer starts going in my in my brain and I start thinking okay 
from whatever point that I decide that this is a true emergency and I need additional municipal services, I've got X minus this much time. So if I go check something out, I've still, I'm still beating or racing against the clock because I still have another eight minutes potentially before law enforcement can get there. So when I identify what's going on, I have to interact with them until, you know, the municipal services get there. So here's what I always do. I always like to err on the side of caution. I would much rather have an officer, especially out in the community, when you don't know how long it's going to take people to get there. Um, I would much rather have a community respond or an officer head that way and change the level of priority or call 911 back and say, hey, this escalated, this changed, this is really serious, I really need your help. Um, or, you know, I noticed this person has a gun. Different things, different things that you say and you, when you dial 911, you always want to be as clear as possible because different things you say are triggers to the dispatcher to determine if it's a priority or not. Difficulty breathing, uh, weapon, firearm, um, not breathing, obviously, seizure, stroke, shock. Those are just different keywords that when you say that, and if you have a medical background, obviously you can speak to it, and, and passing that direct information on to 911 is extremely important because if you've ever been on the other side of that, you know, I've been dispatched to um, someone not breathing before and showed up and realized that it wasn't really not breathing. It, it was actually a accidental overdose or accidental um, ingestion of um, a chemical. So, you know, different things come up and, you know, you can't get mad at the dispatcher, but what you can do is look for those trigger words and be clear and precise. Hi, I'm at this address. I need an ambulance because this individual is not breathing. Hi, I'm at this address. Um, I need a, a an officer because there's someone on our property that's extremely suspicious and looks dangerous. Okay, that's that's clear, straight cut, um, no questions. You're good to go. So, how does emergency medicine respond? Well, here's the thing: those from the dispatch point. Those calls get break, broken down into two categories, um, categories that require basic life support and categories that require advanced life support. So BLS or ALS are the acronyms. So if it's a BLS response or they, they establish and through talking to you that it's BLS, maybe somebody got hurt, somebody fell, somebody got a cut, um, laceration, small laceration, um, maybe difficulty breathing, um, eh, not so much difficulty breathing, but, but maybe asthma, having a hard time breathing, something like that, they would just, most municipal services will just dispatch an ambulance with a crew of two or three people. If it's something larger, if, for example, it's a, there's an unknown factor, um, maybe someone stopped breathing, maybe you are starting to do compressions, maybe you don't really know, okay, how... Um, I don't know how this person is. I have no medical experience whatsoever. They it automatically escalate it to an ALS or advanced life support response. With ALS, typically what happens is um, they will send two, two teams or two crews. And that's why a lot of times you'll see a fire engine pull up and an ambulance pull up with uh, two um, 
you know, two different teams of people to operate that scene and situation, especially if an ambulance isn't available. A lot of times they will send an engine um, in the community because it's already got a crew. Maybe it's out doing another call, wrapping up. But either way, those individuals are mostly trained the same way now. And so when they send an engine, the folks on that will will help. So, again, it's prioritization, and a lot of times it's funny how many people don't know that or haven't learned that, um, but it's prioritization, and a lot of times, honestly, people will ask me, well, why does a fire truck show up to somebody that's having a heart attack? Well, because that was the piece of equipment that was closest to the situation. And what we've had, um, and, you know, they, those folks are trained as well. So we've even had situations where we had an unresponsive individual and, um, with the Narcan, um, options lately and with the opioid crisis going on, um, we've had, we've called 911 when we had someone unresponsive and an officer showed up with an AED, a trauma kit and uh, Narcan in his vehicle. And he showed up and he's like, hey, what's going on? Can I help? And that was great. But he showed up before the ambulance did. So sometimes you'll have an overlap with law enforcement. Usually it's whoever's closest that hears the call. You know, if it's not coming from a station, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll respond. And, you know, that's great. Um, that that shows a very well-oiled, well-functioning uh, municipal services in the community, and uh, so there's a little bit of variation if you're further out, if you're if you live in a community that's volunteer-based. But just hopefully, this kind of helps you with a little bit of that. So, what can you do to get help there faster and more precise? Well, the first thing that you can do is memorize. If we're talking about church safety here, memorize your church's address. Okay, that seems like a straightforward. Well, gee, I. That's not rocket science, James. I could have done that. I could have figured it out. That's true. But when you were trying to treat the the situation and help somebody, you're not thinking about the system to get help there. Okay. Um, I can't tell you how many times um, that until I motivated myself to memorize my church's address, um, I can't tell you how many times where I drew a blank. I'm on the phone with 911 and they're like, okay, sir, what's your address? And I'm like, Mm, I know my home address, but uh, I can't tell you. Hang on just a second. And that I've, I had actually two different calls that that woke me up. And I said, you know what? I really need to memorize this. And I encourage all my safety folks to memorize it as well um, so that they are able to, to very quickly rattle off the address like that and, and get help. Responding. The other thing is utilize the people that are around you. Okay. If somebody is there and they're not doing anything, um, and you don't have a safety office dispatcher or something, somebody that's sitting there waiting to do that, um, grab somebody and have them call 911 so you can treat and assess people. Um, probably the, one of the greatest things you can do is grab another person and tell them to go meet the ambulance. Churches have how many doors? How many different doors? 12, 15? It just depends on the size of your campus, obviously. But giving them instructions to say, hey, I need uh, an ambulance. Come to the welcome center, and I will have someone meet you there. Okay. When they pull in the bil- in, into the parking lot, if they see this massive sign on the building that says welcome center, then guess where they're going to go? They know, okay, somebody said meet, meet us here. They don't know which door to go into. And so... 
um, never assume. You know, these are folks that po- quite possibly have never been to your building, don't know the inside of the structure. You want to make it as easy for them as possible because guess what? If they show up on the far side of the building and you have a 150,000-square-foot campus, it's going to take them another 10 minutes to get that structure and equipment from one side of the building to another. That's 10 minutes that you don't always have. And, again, that might seem simple, but, you know, you have to think about those steps. So one of the other greatest things that you can do, and and um, I advocate this, we're in the process of doing it at my church, is letter or number the doors. Inside and out, two to three inch reflective lettering that gives each door a physical characteristic. So if you start at one point of the door, or start one point of campus, go all the way around the campus, number or letter each door. When you call 911, if you don't have the people to go out and meet somebody, it's a lot easier to say, hey, I need you to come to door B, entrance B, and we will have someone meet you, or that's the best door. That is the best information outside of patient care and what's going on with that person or the security situation or anything that you can give the 911 dispatcher. Come in this door from a church or a school, my goodness, if I showed up to a school and I had that information 20 years ago when I was doing this, that would have been fantastic. But inside and out, why would we do it inside? Well, guess what? If you're on the inside and you have to be the one to call 911, you can look up and see, oh, okay, I'm at door A. Hey, 911, I'm at door A. Can you please send an ambulance to door A? And that's a good um, that's a good reminder for you. The other good re- reason for that is because if it's smoky and you're trying to get out and call 911, um, reflective lettering, a lot of times if you shine your light, maybe off your phone or a flashlight, you can catch that through the smoke and you'll still be able to, to know, okay, that's an exit. I need to get out um, and get out quickly. So a lot of information. This video went far longer than I thought. Hopefully it's a blessing to you. Hopefully it will help um, you guys have a better understanding of that. Um, if Again, if you have any questions, feel free to message me. I'd love to talk to you more in depth uh, if you need additional help or assistance. Um, Take care. God bless. Hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for listening.